Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive, courtesy of your grace and mercy towards us. Help us never take your grace and mercy and kindness and patience for granted. We thank you for another day again just to be breathing free air and being able to gather together like this to dive into your word, to learn more about you and your son through your Holy Spirit. Father, we ask also that you bless all those listening right now that are suffering and struggling uh, with sicknesses and ailments. We ask that you give them strength both physically and spiritually to take in your word and be revived and to not allow those things to uh, bring them down or bring them away from the peace they can have through your Son. Most of all, Father, we're thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ, and that you sent him the way you did in such an unselfish way. We're grateful that you judged him on our behalf so that we could live forever and ever with you. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. We ask that you bless this message, guide us by your Spirit, help us understand and see the things that you see. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. How God Enlightens the Eyes of Our Hearts, Part 3. So, get ready for a very important point right now we're going to start with. And I ask that you don't be familiar with this. In fact, uh, enjoy this point like it's a warm blanket for your soul. Because really, that's what it should be. On the board. The Supernatural Bible. The Bible is the only supernatural book we have. God's intention is that we read and hear His Word in a way that lies beyond natural human experiences. The minute we forget the Bible is supernatural, we're in big trouble. We're, we're going to get way too familiar with the Word. We're going to question the Word when we have this resource God's given us that should bring us great comfort, just the fact that we have it, and just the fact that we can dogmatically say and know that this is from Him, and we don't need to keep searching, looking, other places. That should give you great comfort. And, and never be familiar with this principle. This supernatural book from God enables us to have a supernatural type of seeing. If we intently look into the Word, as we've been talking about, we can see life for what it really is, and we can see Jesus Christ and His heart coming forth. We can see things from God's perspective, big picture. Isn't that what we're all desiring? Like, isn't that what we're craving to see, really, in the end? Show me, God, why I'm here. Show me your face. Show me who you are in my life, right? Make, be real in my life. Give me confidence for who I am, who you made me to be, why I'm here. So all these things only come with gaining God's perspective and seeing the big picture. And by grace, he's made this truth available to us. Freely, and as often as we want to go. You know, it's not like, um, you know, only one person at a time can get in the gate, you know. You go, okay, you got five minutes, read the word, 
and then you got to go home, come back tomorrow, get a little more. You literally can go in anytime you want and eat, you know, to your heart's content and know that it's supernatural. So those who are humble are going to eat it up and digest it and receive spiritual energy and vision from it. That's God's intention for us to see clearly like he sees, to see the invisible, not just the visible, to see with the eyes of your heart what's going on around us right now, even though you can't physically see angels. But we can know. We can have great peace and confidence by faith in what the Word says. A point from the Spirit on Sunday was that we need to be fully dependent to get to know Him. Fully dependent. Are you fully dependent? We must be dependent on the supernatural abilities of the Word and the Spirit to teach us about the Lord. Something to think about for your own attitude, the attitude of your own heart. Are you fully dependent? If we come to that humble realization that that's what we need to be, fully dependent, that's when our eyes are going to be open more and we will get to know him more intimately. So there's a direct correlation to um, our attitude towards the word and what we're able to receive. Again, it's back to humility. If you honestly are humble before him, when you receive the word, you're, gonna, you, you're, open, you're opened up. The channel is open wide, so to speak, and God can show you things and reveal more and more. And none of us are perfect in this. We're all stupid sometimes, arrogant, doubters, etc., etc., etc. But every day as we get on our knees, physically or otherwise, you know, really figuratively, if, if that's your attitude when you go to the Word, God's going to be able to reveal things. On the board, uh, this also came up on Sunday. Reading our Bibles is so very important to our sanctification, our perspective, and even our love for Jesus Christ. I know I can say an amen to that one. It's so easy to forget and doubt in this world and with this flesh we carry around when we get away from the Word. But even our love for Christ is nourished by the Word, or you're malnourished when you're not in the Word, when you're not staying in it. It's like our only hope. The Word is our only hope of seeing things the way God does and having His peace. Is that fair to say? I mean, it's pretty simple, but it's pretty desperate situation. Without the Word, we'll, we'll be blind, walking around blind. So turn again to Ephesians 1.17. This has been our main passage for this series. Again, reading our Bibles is so very important to our sanctification, our perspective, and even our love for Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.17. That the God, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, 
what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Notice the supernatural understanding God desires us to see. He wants us to have wisdom and revelation in verse 17. And to know the riches of the glory of Christ. I mean, what is that? How do you summarize that or get a hold of that? To know the riches of the glory of Christ. He wants us to know that. And then in verse 19, the surpassing greatness of his power. We're talking about eternal things. He wants us to know these things. Not know them like knowledge in a book, like memorized. To know them, to be a piece of us, a part of us in our heart. So again, this type of seeing is only possible on the board toward us who believe, according to this passage. And it seems too obvious to say this, but this means that having the eyes of your heart enlightened is a unique gift given to believers only. As a side note from Sunday, we talked about how we shouldn't expect unbelievers to get it like we get it, to see what, what God shows us from time to time in his word, to have our eyes opened or enlightened. Uh, they're not going to understand our excitement and our interest in the word of God, in, in the mysteries of Christ. They haven't been granted the spiritual faculties, remember. They're literally incapable. And that's why, with unbelievers, we stick to the basics of the gospel. Sharing the truth in love, knowing only the Spirit can convict and change their heart. Until then, they're not going to get it, until the Spirit does something in them. And they won't share your enthusiasm for the Lord. So, in other words, don't be surprised or disappointed we can get easily disappointed when we get a letdown from somebody by somebody's reaction. We, sh- we should never be surprised if we try to share something that's exciting to us because God has given us some spiritual vision, some sight, and they just, whatever, shun it, think it's silly. Never be surprised, never be disappointed. Another clear point of the Spirit has been that our emotions or enthusiasm will never save a person. We can't, again, talk somebody into it, so to speak. We can't convince people by our own wisdom and energy. And as Pastor said on Sunday, be yourself. Share, share the truth, share the gospel as, as you would. You're, you're you, there's only one you. And guess what? God put that person in front of you for a reason. Maybe if it's in front of me, he'd run away. But in front of you, he needs to hear your take who you are. Let it be. Give the gospel the way you would give it. If it's with, as Pastor said on Sunday, great enthusiasm, great. If that's you, great. If, if you're, 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 you're a Mr. G, we'll just say, remember on Sunday, grumpy, then great. Just be yourself. Be real. Because that's what people, honestly, are craving to see from Christians also. Instead of a lot of fake energy or acting so it's a work of the spirit to save a person so we are to relax and share the gospel accurately when given the chance and it's the word of God that's the instrument the spirit will use to accomplish his will 
Don't underestimate that statement. What does the Bible say is the sword of the Spirit? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So on the board, the sword of the Spirit. And you can see the word word is in the word sword. And I just noticed this while I was studying this morning. I was staring at my screen. You know how you look at one of those puzzle pictures where there's two pictures in one picture or whatever, and you've got to look at it, and you've got to like back away and focus differently, and you see it? Well, that's what kind of happened on, on my computer screen. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, that's weird. The word word is in the word sword. Well, maybe take it as a reminder. I'm not saying this is some great spiritual revelation. Take it as a reminder, though, that the word is the sword. Like, never forget that. It's his weapon in our own hearts and souls and, and in our ability to communicate to others and, and live in the Great Commission. But regarding the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians six seventeen part B, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When's the last time you looked at the Word like a weapon? Maybe you have, but I know I haven't. When I think of the word sword, I think of strength, aggression, you know, power. Hebrews 4.12a, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So do you want the sword of the Spirit to be active in your life? If God came down today and said, I'm going I'm to give you this sword, this divine sword, this supernatural sword, wouldn't you be all over it? Well, he tells us this is, this is it. So let that give you maybe a new perspective on how you look at the Word. Um, if you want the sword of the Spirit active in your life, you have to humbly take in the Word of God. So he has that sword to use in your heart. We might call it picking up our sword every day. So to see the things of God one must first become saved, which is only accomplished by the work of the Spirit within a man. And it's then a person can see the things of God, as Paul is speaking of. Uh, he removes the blinders. On the board regarding supernatural seeing, this spiritual sight that Paul speaks of in Ephesians 1.18 is unique to believers only. And the Apostle John referred to receiving Grace upon grace in John 1.16, a believer is given sight to see Christ. And when they see more of Christ, they are granted even greater sight, and so goes their transformation into the same image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18. So there's a spiritual momentum that happens for the humble believer who keeps his eyes on the Lord and the Word. The transformation in this life keeps building and growing for those who surrender daily to the Word. They'll see more, more wonderful things from God's divine perspective. If we right now saw everything right now from God's divine perspective, what kind of peace do you think we would have? We wouldn't have one worry in the world. We wouldn't have one fear that we give in to. We would be at 100% peace because we know the beginning from the end like he does. 
Now, we'll never perfectly know that in this life, but God says, I want you to know it. Do you want to know it? If you want to know it, if you're truly humble, you'll come to my word in that way, and I'll show you stuff. I'll show you spiritual things, and I'll give you more and more of my peace. But there's no shortcuts, in other words. There's no shortcuts. God gives us his spirit as believers, right? Why does he say we have to be in the word every day if we have the spirit? Isn't the Spirit our true teacher who's going to show us things, who, who reveals things to us every day? Yeah. Why do we have to be in the Word? Ask God. But for some reason, that's a vital part of the equation to growing. Maybe it's just simply a test of humility, and only when we get in the state of humility can He open up to us. Turn again to John 1.14. There's like a certain state that, or condition that happens in our soul when we, when we humble ourselves before him that opens the floodgates, that frees God to give us certain things that we otherwise couldn't bear in our arrogance or our stubbornness. John 1.14 And the word became flesh. So stop right there for a minute for a little reminder. In John 1.1, 1, 1, the word was God and the word became flesh. Never forget, when you entertain the word with your soul, you entertain Jesus himself. The spirit of Jesus, his mind and his heart. That's what you entertain, that's who you entertain when you entertain the word. Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. Again, the point on the board, when they see more of Christ, they're granted even greater sight. And so goes their transformation into the same image of Christ. Go again to 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is a picture of spiritual momentum, transformation. It's, it's something that you know, builds upon itself more and more every day as we humble ourselves under the Word. 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. This is more grace granted to the humble, as in James 4, 6 on the board. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In context, In James 4, James is contrasting those who stay friends with the world versus those who willingly submit to God. The latter are going to be given more grace and given the ability to see the things of God. But it can only be given to the humble. Such treasures, such powerful realities and truths can only be revealed to the humble. Remember Paul with the thorn in the flesh. 
He had the thorn in the flesh to keep him humble because he got to see things in heaven that a man shouldn't, can't even utter, he said. So the thorn in the flesh he needed to keep him humble from what he saw. We can't bear to see the things of God without humility. It would destroy us and we'd destroy other people with it probably in our arrogance. So again, uh, the latter, those who are willing to submit to God, are going to be shown supernatural spiritual things from God. On the board, supernatural seeing. We see the Lord with the eyes of our hearts, understanding that we too are being transformed into that image that we see. An unbeliever will never experience this. We were asked to reflect on Sunday. How can a person truly see Jesus Christ and remain ambivalent about him or remain indifferent about him? How is that even possible? If someone claims to be a believer, but there's no change in their attitude towards him. Doesn't make sense. So somebody died for you, but you really don't care. That's what we see in a lot of so-called Christians' lives. So we have to ask ourselves, did they ever really see him in the first place? Or are they under some religious code, bondage, whatever, that they think that, that gets them by? It's like sinning without any remorse towards the Lord. A believer, when they sin, they have something in them because they've been changed that says, ugh, I let the Lord down, or ugh, I got to i got to turn to you, Lord. I'm, you know, I repent. I'm sorry. There's something. There's a sense of remorse in a changed individual because they realize what God has done for them. And they believe it. And they've accepted it in their heart. But someone that sins, especially habitually, and has no remorse whatsoever, I, I'm actually scared for them. That they can be that indifferent because it shows something's missing. So with that type of person, we might, as we've been seeing, we might share the fullness of the gospel with them, including the call to repentance. More on having our eyes, the eyes of our hearts enlightened on the board regarding supernatural seeing. By humbly submitting to the inspired word of God, we are being transformed by the spirit of Christ within us. And we are also given a supernatural ability to abide in Christ's love as a function of keeping his commandments. Turn again to John 15, verse 10. Again, by humbly submitting to the inspired word, we are being transformed by the spirit of Christ within us. And we're also given a supernatural ability to abide in Christ's love as a function of keeping his commandments. John 15, 10, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That's a pretty plain statement. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Do you see the Lord's desire for us? He wants us to be humble before the Word so we can experience His joy. It's all about 
you know, his love towards us. He wants the best for us, just like a father wants the best for his sons. He wants us to humble ourselves before the word, not to put us under some kind of a ritual or, you know, program. He wants us to humble ourselves before the word so we can gain the benefits of his peace, his joy. Have that kind of joy with the Father and with him. And this is a supernatural thing. Some of you right now are hearing this. You're like, what, what do you mean? How, how can there be joy from keeping commands? Well, if, if love is in view, it kind of changes everything. If you love and respect the person truly, then it changes your attitude towards the commands. Remember that verse, his commands are not burdensome? And again, nobody's perfect in this. We all fail. We all fall back into the flesh sometimes. But we're talking about an overall attitude, a lifestyle, a, a view of God's word. What's our perspective? This, remind, this reminded me, this verse in John 15, about when our Lord said to Peter, if you love me, you'll tend my sheep. And since we're in John, go to John 21 so we can see this. In other words, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. For Peter, the command was, as an apostle, tend my sheep, take care of my sheep. John 21, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. This is the calling upon an anointed minister of God. And this goes to show that for the believer, love is revealed in one's actions. Not just for the pastor or the apostle in this verse. For the believer, love is revealed in one's actions, in one's obedience. On the board, what we do as believers is the proof of or the evidence of who and what we love. There's no way around that. The way we live, our actions, are a sign of who or what we love in our heart. If we love self, it is evidenced by the fact that we live for self habitually. If we love the Lord, it is evidenced by the fact that we live for Him and His sheep. And so the opposite is true also, as stated by the Lord. If we keep his commands, we abide in his love. On the board, again, we're talking about supernatural abiding. We find his commandments in one tidy place, the Bible. If you keep his commandments, you will, you will, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. 
In other words, we must make a daily decision who and what is our priority. That decision never goes away in this life. It's, it's before us every day whether we like it or not. Who and what is your priority? If we choose to obey the good, His commands, we will be blessed as only God can bless us. Now again, we're talking about supernatural things here. There's a blessing, there's, a, there's a, a peace that God wants you to have that surpasses human comprehension that until we receive it, we don't know what it's like. We can't even really picture it. I met a, a guy today, I'll just share with you real quick. I met a man who used to be an alcoholic, um, almost died from it. Um, you know, admittedly, on his own, how bad he was, how far away he was, how he doubted God, etc., etc. And he finally came to a point where, in my words, he surrendered to Christ. He basically said, God, God changed me. God totally changed me. And this man, I can tell you, despite the fact that he isn't 100% healthy right now, etc., he had the peace of God. He's like, I am so much happier right now with, he, he called it boring at one point, my boring life. He meant simple, though. He kept saying simple, too. I am so content with my simple life right now and living a good life and eating the right things and not going where they do anymore. I am so content that I don't want to ever go back to that thing I had before. Now, we're not talking about an exciting life, getting everything we want. You know what I mean? The things that we think are going to make us happy. We're not talking about that. He had the peace of God, though. And it's hard to explain, but I can see it on his face. So pray for him. His name is Kevin. He might uh, come visit our church soon also. But if we choose to obey the good, if we choose to obey God's commands, we're going to be blessed as only God can bless us. And it's in a different way than we envision on our own. His peace is beyond words. So the Spirit is encouraging us to eat the Word of God daily, to feed our desire to get to know Him better, to submit in that way. And it is then that the promises of the Word of God can become real in our lives and active. And we must remember, this also came out on Sunday, the Bible imparts spiritual abilities to those who obey the commands found in Holy Scripture. Funny, we all we all want these spiritual abilities, right? The supernatural abilities, but we're not willing to obey. So what does that say? That says we're arrogant, and God can't give grace to the arrogant. The Bible imparts spiritual abilities to those who obey the commands found in Holy Scripture. No way around it, and that's for our own good, for our own benefit. We are transformed by the Spirit within us working with the word that is planted in our souls. Remember, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. That's why it's so critical to plant the seed of the word daily in our souls. You know, our, our, flesh, our flesh's tendency is to say, oh, I read the Bible yesterday. In fact, I read three chapters. I don't need it today. That's what our flesh leads us to believe. That we're all set now. We already 
you know, accomplish something. But it's critical to plant the seed of the word every day in our soul. It's vital. It's like eating. Why did God design us that we have to eat every day or we're going to become weak? It's the same in the spiritual realm. We have to eat every day. You're going to become weak and be walking around like a spiritual skeleton with no energy, no ability, no power. So regarding this, this need to plant the seed of the word daily in our souls, I want to give you just a brief analogy that I heard from someone at the supermarket. I confirmed it with Lois, who's our expert gardener, so I just want to make sure it was right. There are a lot of herbs that don't last the whole summer. They don't produce leaves the whole summer. If you want leaves from those herbs, you have to plant them again and again and again throughout the summer to get more leaves. The old plants, they don't produce, you know, good leaves anymore. Might still be alive. So it's a loose analogy, but it's the same with our souls. Spiritual growth is a dynamic thing that's always changing for the good or for the bad, going towards God or away from God. It's always dynamic. It's always changing. It's always, I don't know, interactive. So we need to plant good seeds regularly, daily even, as the Bible says. Oh, we're not going to have the fruit. We're not going to have that production within us, the strength, the power of God that we so desperately need. So the reality is that our souls must be fed daily to flourish, to grow, and to experience His peace. And therefore, the Spirit can fill us and teach us and guide us with the wisdom of the Word. And as we've seen, the Word and the Spirit work hand in hand for our sanctification this came up on, on Sunday. Uh, I put the verses up on the board together just so you can see how incredibly similar they are. We, we went over this a few years ago and it came up on Sunday regarding the Word and the Spirit. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Do you see the intimacy between the Word and the Spirit? Same fruit comes forth and the same peace. We must never forget or underestimate the fact that the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to set us free and to help us see supernaturally. The result is we become more and more like Jesus Christ, even being able to rejoice in our souls as we live life in this corrupt world. That's supernatural. For us to walk in this corrupt world and, and to have peace, that is supernatural. True peace, His peace to see ugly things, to hear ugly things, things that we know offend God, things that offend us, and to not lose our peace is supernatural. We can still get indignant about it. We can still do what we think God wants us to do, but our inner peace isn't disturbed. Only if we're in the Word 
with humility, planting seeds every day. If we refuse the word, it's like a baby turning away from the spoon. You know when you get the little baby food on the spoon, right? You go up to the baby's mouth and the baby's like, right? Lydia knows this like five times, right? And guess what? That baby, if in arrogance, keeps refusing that good food, is going to be hungry, malnourished, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, in the big picture. So that's us in the spiritual realm. By default, we rely on our own wisdom then, on our own strength. Maybe on junk food, for example, thinking we're going to get nutrition out of it. And we go around feeling sick and going to the toilet too much. Sorry. But <laughs> gives you a picture. Yet the Lord said those who worship him have to worship him in spirit and in truth. Must, he said. On the board. Uh, I'll actually turn there. John 4, verse 23. John 4, verse 23. The Lord said those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So you can meet, you might, you know, might meet some uh, quote-unquote spiritual people out there. They might be Christians, they might not be, but they say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritual. I don't like religion, which obviously is a good thing, but I'm spiritual. And they go their own way with their own spirit, maybe listening to a different spirit. But if they are believers, and they do have the Holy Spirit, but they resist the word, they're malnourished. They're not, they don't have the sword of the Spirit available to the Spirit to work in them, right? So you see that sometimes. But look what Jesus said in John 4.23. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You need both. The Lord made it clear how we could learn and come to know him also in John 14, 26. Go to John 14, 26. Just some reminders. We must worship him in spirit and truth. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. All the words Jesus said to them, the word of God, the Holy Spirit brings that to our memory at just the right time. But if we don't have the word in our soul, it's malnourished. So the Lord, the Spirit, has given us everything we ever need to know about Him in the Bible. Thus, the vital importance of the Word of God being resident in our souls, being planted there and firmly rooted and watered every day, if you will. Keep going with the analogy. That is when supernatural sanctification occurs within us. It's not of ourselves. We can't sanctify ourselves. You could try to force it all you want. God has to change you. You have to ask God to change you. But he only does that for the humble. Who are the humble? The ones that submit to his word. 
on the board. Just as only God can give us repentance and faith, only God can change our hearts and transform us into the image of Christ. Salvation and sanctification are entirely the work of God on man's behalf. And this supernatural goodness is accomplished through God's Word and Spirit working in us. So this is why Pastor wants this for us more than anything. As you can see his heart for us when he teaches. And we're going to go to a passage now that we've been to, but this time when we read it, I want you to take the perspective that you only have a few days left to live on this earth. All right, read it with that in mind. Turn again to James 1.21. James 1.21. This should be our perspective anyway, every day. But, you know, we lose it from time to time. But again, as we read this, take the perspective that you only have a few days left to live on this earth. James 1.21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So what will you do with your remaining time on earth? Or maybe the question is, how will you live, or how will you look at the Bible? How will you read the Bible going forward? This has come up several times in the last two weeks on the board. This phrase looks intently in James 1.25. The Greek is parakupto, to bend beside or to lean over so as to peer within. How will you read your Bible going forward? Not just do you. Is it with a humble heart? Or is it with, I don't know, some kind of obligation in your heart? Some kind of uh, guilt even. Looks intently. The promise is for those who look intently into the Word. This definition on the board, someone is only willing to do this if he has the right heart. One will only look into the Word in this way if he's humbled before the Lord. So for the unbeliever, this is too much effort. Okay, It's one thing if someone gives you something. It's another thing if someone puts it in a hole in the ground and you have to take an effort to go look for it or look at it. You have to peer over, lean over. That's the implication here. This is the man who's blessed in what he does. That's how he looks into the Word. So for the believer, the one who loves and appreciates Christ, he is willing to peer over, to bend or to stretch to see the things of God. And if you're not willing in your heart, go to the Lord. 
and surrender again, you know? I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about your attitude, your growth, your humility in um, following Christ. Be willing to peer over and bend and stretch to see the things of God. Turn to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Again, if you need to humble yourself before the Lord because you've been arrogant lately, then repent of that and go to Him, cry out to Him again. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. Those who love Him keep His commands, right? All that God has prepared for those who love Him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Where do we find him? Where do we find the mind of Christ? In the word of God. As Pastor shared on Sunday, he knows he himself can't deliver anybody. No man can deliver another man. It's the power of the Word and the Spirit that saves and delivers the soul. We saw on Sunday on the board the Word implanted at salvation. It saves the soul from the penalty of sin, positionally, from the power of sin, experientially, and from the presence of sin, ultimately. Think about it this way. God promises that His Word is able to deliver you. There's no insufficiency in His Word. There's never a lack of power. Even anointed men of God who have some type of communication gift, they can't deliver other people, but only accurately share the truth in love. Now, God did give certain gifts to men, but their job is to act as a messenger, right? To act as a messenger. In other words, the message is already established. It's already written. A messenger delivers the message. Whatever it might be for the day, whatever part of the letter needs to be delivered. But messengers simply carry and deliver a message. That's all they do. Only God, the Word and the Spirit, Jesus Christ, can deliver somebody. Turn again to Ephesians 
It is true that God did give certain gifts to men. Ephesians 4.11. And their job is to act as a messenger. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, as a result of all these good things which started with God's messengers in verse 11, as a result we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. From whom? Christ. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. While the most important thing we can do is read our Bible for ourselves and come to our own convictions for our spiritual walk with God, we mustn't forget who taught us the great value and importance of this type of truth. It was a man with a spiritual gift that was appointed for us. God gave us a pastor who has a heart after the Lord and has instructed us diligently in love so we would not be deceived, but set free by God's word. We saw this balance statement on Sunday. Never forget the instrument that God uses to deliver you. For example, your pastor. Never say, well, I get it. I just need to read my Bible. I no longer need a pastor. That is not biblical. That is a heinous error and an aberration. Consider how God has already used your pastor to deliver you and the fact that you never arrive. Just the fact that God gave gifts to men to lead other men should show us that that is somehow a vital part of the equation that God uses. God has designed the spiritual life so that we need a physical tour guide. Think about it that way. We need somebody in the flesh to be in front of us, to instruct us, to point things out to us. That's how God designed it. Maybe he said, I'm not going to leave you stupid sheep all alone on your own. You can't even find your own way to a water hole. I'm going to give you a man. I'm going to bless you with a man that has a gift to guide you to the water hole of the word. That's how God designed part of our spiritual walk in addition to reading our own Bibles. I can honestly say I'm reading my Bible a whole lot more than I ever used to. I'm embarrassed to say that. And coming to my own convictions more and more all because my pastor instructed me to wake up and do that for myself. And to stop relying on a man for another man for our wisdom. I'm sure many of you can say the same thing. A pastor has a vital role in the lives of the Lord's sheep. May we never forget that and always be appreciative of God's 
gift because that's what he is. So another balance statement was never underestimate the value of a true man of God and a man of God who's willing to get out of the way. Not a man of God that wants all the attention, all the wealth, um, all the accolades. A man of God that's willing to only be a waiter. You don't get that very often, unfortunately. But we're blessed. And as Pastor shared his heart on Sunday, one of a mother's greatest fears is that her kids don't eat. So pastor having like a let's let's call it like a fatherly view or a, a parental view of his sheep to have a pastor who cares for us as a nursing mother would care for her children or as a father would care for his sons that is a precious thing and we might call that a true man of god because a good under shepherd will care for the sheep like the great shepherd does living in both the motherly and fatherly sides of god's heart 1 Thessalonians 2, 5 through 13. Let's turn there as we close this evening. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 5. A true man of God, a good under-shepherd, will care for the sheep like the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, does, living in both the motherly and fatherly sides of God's heart. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 2, we have the Apostle Paul speaking to his spiritual children, so to speak, in the church of uh, Thessalonica. So, 1 Thessalonians 2, 5, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. There's one side of God's heart, the shepherd's heart. We prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. Just as you know, verse 11, how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. There's the fatherly side of God. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And then look at verse 13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. 
What a great summary verse. And that's really what pastor's desire is for us. Any good under-shepherd, that's his desire for his people, that you didn't receive as my word. You receive what I'm telling you as the word of God. And it's that word of God that has the power that performs its work in you, you who believe. So there's the father's wish for his sons and the father's joy in their proper response towards the word. What more could a good father ask for? What more could a good father want for his children than for them to get it on their own and to have their own peace and convictions and reliance on God, who is the word? So we have a whole lot to be grateful for. Let's make sure we appreciate every part of God's grace towards us. Amen? All right, let's bow. Father, we're so grateful and thankful today. We thank you for your word again, which is opening our eyes and enlightening us to the proper way to look at life, the proper perspective, and even the supernatural things that you have in store for us. Father, we ask that you help us remain humble before your word every day. Help us plant new seeds out of love for you, out of wanting to get to know you more and more. Father, we ask that you change our hearts, that you continue to sanctify us and transform us into the image of your precious Son. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen.